Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Scene All. We break down this week's biggest movie and TV news. We got the Marvel's review, Five Nights at Freddy's box office, Legend of Zelda live action, tons of trailers dropped, Inside Out 2, Loki finale. We just have so much to break down. But before I get into any of the actual topics on this week's episode, I do want to first mention that the actor strike did end a couple days ago. And I just want to congratulate all the actors out there who got fair compensation for their work and i'm glad this is finally over and everybody can start getting back to work even though tons of stuff is delayed at this point but i'm glad the strike worked out and i'm really proud of everyone for sticking it to those greedy studios and they got what they deserved but the first topic though we have to talk about is the marvels which i put out my first review my first reaction for that and I'm going to say the same thing here. I actually had a really fun time with this movie, and I really did not have the highest hopes based on how the reviews came out for this film. But it was lean, mean, and delivered awesome action scenes, a few emotional beats, characters I loved, and a satisfying conclusion all in under an hour and 45 minutes. What more? What more could you ask for? There's actually a few more things that I would have asked for, but we'll talk about those in a bit. I just want to gush about this film first, because man, are some people just... They're coming out vehemently and attacking this film. I mean, if you if you don't like the trailers, if you think the trailers are bad, that's fine. But the toxicity is unparalleled. And I just think you guys need to calm down. It's not that serious. It was never that serious. But first, I have to say that there were so many surprises in the story of the movie itself. Because while they did show up a lot of the big surprises, like people showing up and big parts of action scenes, they hid the emotional underpinnings and the actual like plot. Even though there wasn't a ton of plot, they hid like, the actual motivations and reveals from the marketing campaign. I mean, there's there's not a ton, but they did hide it, from, hide it from the marketing campaign. They did release a final trailer on Monday with uh, Monday Night Football, but I did not watch that, and I, I kind of skimmed through it. I was like, oh, yep, I definitely should not be watching that. But I watched it I watched it afterward, and I was like, well, well, it spoils one of the cameos, and that really angers me. It spoils, like, a huge thing with the villains, and just, like, you didn't even do that three days before the movie comes out. It's just ridiculous. And, while we're sticking with spoilers, please try not to get the end credit scene spoiled for you. I tried so much not to get the end credit scene spoiled for me, but through innuendos, I basically guessed what was coming, but they were still a marvel to see. But leakers and people who see films early, stop spoiling. And better yet, stop even hinting at things. Like seriously, you have a special place in hell waiting for you because you are ruining the enjoyment of so many moviegoers. And that is really really not fair. I saw immediately after I wrote out my show notes and I said that exact thing, I go onto Twitter and I see that a cop pulled a gun on someone for trying to spoil Top Gun Mad for him. And I was like, you know, that's illegal. But honestly, I feel, I feel very same because it's just, it's just, just downright, just, it's just so rude and so selfish of you. I want, but first after my mini rant, I want to go through each of the main characters here because there's really a lot. I really connected with almost all these characters. Starting off, of course, with our lead heroine, Captain Marvel slash Carol Danvers. They really hid her entire character arc from the trailer, and I'm so glad they did because she gets the biggest development here, and the revelations of the characters are great. Her power set is just so cool, and you see a few moments here when she just goes off the walls, and it's so cool to see light explode in front of your eyes. Very cinematic powers. There's a lot of light exploding in this movie, and it's like, wow. this I'm glad I'm seeing this in a movie theater. Also, besides like the dark revelations with her characters, it's also funny to see some of the embarrassing things that get revealed about her character. And let me just say, most of those funny revelations take place on a water planet. Oh, and last touch on her character is that her love for Goose, along with Nick Fury's love for Goose and all the Flurkins, stuff like that, so just their cat people, is <laughs> I don't I still understand why Nick Fury is in love with these creatures after they 
cut one of his eyes out. It's still admirable, but the way Goose just rides on Captain Marvel's shoulder. Oh, it's so freaking cute. I just love it. Their love for the Florkins. I, I love it. I just love it. Um, probably our second lead is Monica, Monica Rambeau, who really gets the climactic moment in the movie, I must say, but they still find a way to share it evenly between her and Carol. Her powers are a little bit iffy for me, but I do love the way she can make her body transparent, and she uses that a lot. Also, there's a scene where she has to fly up to catch Kamala. They see it in the trailers, and it was so funny, and I was I was like, I genuinely was on the edge of my seat wondering how, how they were going to figure this out. Oh, and let me just say the emotional scenes with her are really good because they just Let's just say they go into their memories. They do some flashbacks here. They go some memory hunting this movie. Both Carol and Monica, and they they unearth some trauma. I also vote for her name to be Spectrum. I know they were they trying to debate in the movie. I vote Spectrum. She has like multiple names in the comics. She has to have a code name. We have to give her one. Then Miss Marvel slash Kamala Khan, who is exuding fun and charismatic energy on the same level as Tom Holland. She brought so much energy to the group, and I can't wait to see what she does next because she really should be one of the leaders of the next phase of Marvel because she just. She just gushes charisma and has got, and she's got the power set to be on that level. Then we have the Miss Marvel's family. So her mom, her brother, and her dad, who just like in her show are so freaking hilarious. And they are just like so loving. I don't want to give away any of the jokes they made in this film, but each one landed for me. And it really felt relatable to my parents, my siblings. They were just, they were so cute in the movie. And they really handled the comedy well. I thought there was a great balance of comedy and emotion here, despite what critics are saying. I thought they really handled it well. Then we got Nick Fury. After the failure, that was Secret Invasion. No, we don't want to talk about that. I didn't know. But I'm glad that Fury is back on his game here. And Samuel Jackson is having the time of his life. Never get rid of this character, Marvel. And he's just, he's just great. He's awesome. And then acting from the three leads and the supporting, I just have to say, everybody was superb. And the, the, the charisma, the chemistry between the three leads is just, wow. I was just amazed. They, they, they did their homework when casting this movie. As for the action, the switching places the action was a highlight of this film for me mostly because there was so much of it and it was incredibly well executed i probably have to pick the first fight scene when they discover they are switching along with the end fight scene as my favorite action scenes but they just they just use the switching way better than i thought they would like this is some of the best action in the entire mcu i would argue especially because you could actually see most of in front of your old and unfold in front of your eyes and didn't cut away from it you really got to see it play out and they paced it so well where it felt like action a little slow bait. Action a little slow bait. They paced it extremely well where I never felt dull and wanted to pick up my phone. I have to commend them for that short runtime because you really were like in there, out, perfect. No boring times. But there's also two insane sequences, I must add. I cannot, be I could not believe what I was watching. One of them I was prepared for because of the leaks. But the other, I was not. And you will know what two scenes I'm thinking of when you see the film. I do have to say that people are criticizing saying these scenes are just like too crazy. I don't think you'd be criticizing these scenes if they were in a James Gunn Guardians of the Galaxy film. I grouped these two scenes on the same level as the Orgo Corp scene in Guardians 3. Nobody had a problem with that. I found it hilarious. I mean, it didn't really need to be in the movie, but it was hilarious. These The scenes in the Marvels were hilarious. I understand if you don't want comedy like this in your serious Marvel movie. Then why did you like it in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? I had such a fun time with these sequences. As for the stuff I liked less, notice I haven't mentioned the villain once in my review so far. She... she Darben as a, as the Cree something they don't reveal who she is until halfway through so I don't want to like spoil what exactly she is but she's Cree and she's the villain she's just really underwhelming as a villain she provides the catalyst for some really cool action scenes and I thought her motivation and an actual plan was pretty th pretty thought through I'm like oh this makes sense we just didn't get enough time to develop her and she has a really cliche cliche resolution with her character just really weak spot of the movie she also is like a henchman too like you don't even have enough screen time for her why are we giving her a henchman 
And the other main weak spot I can think of at this moment is that we didn't get enough time with these characters to sit with certain emotional beats. I counted three times when, with each of these three women that I wish we could have focused a little bit more time into them talking through what was going on, or we could have developed those emotional scenes more and the villain a little bit more. Just, I just the hour and 45 minutes, I wish it had been maybe an hour and 55 minutes because they really could have developed a lot more. And there's a lot of scenes. This thing, I think this thing got butchered in the editing bay because there are so many scenes in the trailers that did not end up in the movie at all. Like there's this one beautiful shot from the trailer of, of Monica and Carol standing in front of a window with rain pouring in the background where they're talking through emotional stuff. That scene was cut. I was like, I wanted to see that. It looked pretty good. And I feel like they could have done it just develop a little more, a little more. And definitely you could have sat with the emotional beats just a tad bit longer. So yeah, I was not expecting to have such a fun time as I did with this film. I think that's that most of you will too. It's not high concept. It's not high concept or anything, but it's, it doesn't have incredible development, but it is a fun action film that has heart to it. And that's what I wanted. Apparently it's not what critics wanted, um, but it's a fresh on Rotten Tomatoes at 62% at this moment. I feel like critics in the superhero space are becoming harder and harder to please. I mean, personally, I'm kind of becoming harder and harder to please because I've seen so many and I feel like I get where they're coming from. But I bet you if this film came out five to six years ago, it would have gotten a lot more praise. As for box office estimates, uh, they are looking so bad right now. The floor is like 50 million. Top line's like 75 million. It's all over the place. Who knows? It's so bad for a film that costs $220 million to make. Who knows? Maybe it can have good word of mouth. If if I'm in any indicator, because I will preach that this movie is fun to the world. I, I'm telling all my friends, like, you should go see it. It's fun time. It's short. You don't have to sit there very long. It's fun. The Marvels could end up being a real big disaster for Marvel. But hey, I had fun with it. And I really like what the end of this film is setting up. So keep forging ahead, Marvel. Keep going on. I'm not going to talk about this past week's box office on this episode because there's not really enough to talk about and there's so much other stuff to cover on this week's episode. But I do want to mention really quick that Five Nights at Freddy fell like 76%, so I think around $18 million this past weekend. And I just got to show you, Universal, this is what happens when you release a film day and date on streaming. And please don't ever do that again. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. You're just undermining everything. So I hope this teaches them a lesson and I hope they learn from their mistakes in the future. So late on Tuesday... Late on Tuesday, news just randomly dropped out of nowhere that a live-action Legend of Zelda movie is in the works at Sony with a producer, a writer, and a director attached to this sought-out project. No actor yet, but we'll talk about them in a minute. So, I want to break down every detail regarding this info dump because most of it does not make any sense to me one bit. And it just feels like Nintendo is pulling off some odd stuff, which, I mean, is on par for the, it's on par for them, right? Par for the, it's par for the course for them. So why is Nintendo partnering with Sony instead of Universal is my main big question. Universal owns Illumination, the animated studio that just made Super Mario Bros. the movie, a film that went on to gross more than $1.3 billion worldwide and is the second highest grossing film of the year, a film that audiences love. I mean, critics do not like it. I also do not like it myself. But why aren't you giving the project to the studio that just made a billion-dollar film? There's just business right there. I understand they want to go live action with Zelda, and I concur that is the way to go with this franchise. Way to go. It's the way to go with this franchise. I honestly prefer live action live action adaptations over animated ones, depending on the medium. I feel for Mario and say my favorite Nintendo property, Splatoon, those thrive and are necessitated to do animation in order to do them justice. But as you know, I do not like Super Mario Bros. And I thought it was just a really standard, boring film that really did not elevate the material whatsoever. And I just think the movie is it's really bad. Although it brought so much joy to so many people, how can you say it's dog poo poo at that point? Also, Illumination Studios, at this point, they're just trash. All they do is put out subpar, cheap movies. That the only great thing they ever made was the first Despicable Me, and that was their first ever film back in like 2010. Just 
the studio really sucks and they really grind my gears, man. If we are going to animate any more Illumination properties at Universal, can they please give them to DreamWorks, an animation studio that can make actual masterpieces, even though they are the same, even though the same guy heads both Illumination and DreamWorks, I have more faith in DreamWorks at this point. I'm not, I'm not looking at you, upcoming Trolls 3 and Ruby Gilman from this past summer. I'm looking at Push, Puss in Boots, the um, last wish as my prime example here of they're making good movies. Enough about my rant, how bad Illumination is, and the choice for quality-wise to keep Super Mario Bros. there, which I do am not mad at all. <laughs> so I'm really glad they decided not to send Zelda there. I still would have let Universal produce the film, but maybe under a different company, different production company, such as their live-action division there. Because, man, does it feel like Universal got screwed here after putting... They put their full weight behind the Nintendo brand. For God's sake, they have Super Mario Bros. Lands opening across the world in their parks. And then the one in Japan and Orlando is also having a Donkey Kong Land too. Like, Universal is fully invested in Nintendo, and it feels like they just they just got thrown under the bus for Sony. Sony did produce the Uncharted films, and that's maybe what the Nintendo creatives are looking to as the film for inspiration for what Zelda can be. But are you kidding me? Well, Mario and Uncharted, they both got middling reviews, so you can't compare them reviews-wise. They're both, like, 50th percentile, I think. Both of them are pretty bad in my eyes. But Uncharted made $400 million, while Super Mario Bros. made $1.3 billion. Where are we looking at as Uncharted as the blueprint here? Give me a break. Second reason they went to Sony is that the producer of this film is Ari Ared. I hope I pronounced his name right. Who exclusively works at Sony now, I believe. This is the producer... Of all the Sony live-action Spider-Man movies, so that includes Venom, Venom 2, Venom Let There Be Carnage, Morbius, the upcoming Kraven film, all those things. He's also produced most live-action X movies. He produced Uncharted, I believe, and the Ghost in the Shell retelling. Ooh, bad movie. And and I believe most of those are really bad. I do have to give him credit for producing Spider-Verse movies, but Chris Miller and Phil Lord are producers there, so he's not the run running the ship there. Also, he is in this clause that he has to be producer on all Sony Spider-Man movies that dates back to like early 2000s but I, I read a lot of this guy recently in the marvel behind the scenes book they put out i binge read that so fast and man does this not give me hope that this film will be good he had a toy mindset while a merchandise mindset when he working at marvel in the early days think think how will this film further merchandise and toy sales and he really just he just let the quality go he has really poisoned a lot of films and he has produced so much crap so when it came out that one of the lead creators and developers of Zelda has been working with Ari Arad, I gasped. I was like, no, look at the other films he's made and stop. Stop before it's too late. You could save yourself. So those are the real bad parts of the development of this film. And before I get to the other, the one part that I like about the announcement, I got to talk about the other bad thing, and that is the writer. The writer for the Zelda movie is Derek Connolly, the writer of the following movies. Jurassic World, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Jurassic World Dominion, a trilogy that I love with my whole heart as a Dino fan, and as someone who can be blinded by this franchise and still love it. I, they can they can hit me with a car, and I will still go back and see every movie. I just I don't have to say, the writing was incredibly subpar for these films. He's also the writer of Kong Skull Island, which I think is the worst of the live-action monstrous films, although I wouldn't call it awful, just... just, just I don't know. Then he's also the writer for Detective Pikachu. I saw it once, haven't gone back, I didn't don't have the fondest memories of it. And he's the writer for the initial story of Rise of Skywalker. So he wrote it with Colin Trevorrow because he worked with him in Jurassic World. That's not the script they actually use in the movie, but that script has leaked online. And it's kind of funny how bad it is, too. <laughs> and you know how people feel about the Rise of Skywalker they made after that. So the story there, uh, no. So yes, this guy will be writing Zelda. Oh, also, he wrote Monsters Trucks movie. Do you remember that movie from like 2017, I think it was? No, 
<laughs> this starts off so many red flags in my head. I can't believe no one making making this is just realizes that. It's just it's just driving me crazy. But I bet RER had put them on here. I feel like studios have they like look to see have they had experience making big blocks, but big box big blockbusters like this and see you can do it regardless of the quality level and the projects you put out let's just say oh you have the experience the quality is way less important than the personal experience is what they say and i hope this train they train new and better writers to help equip these bigger budget films instead of reusing past bad ones that exactly that's exactly what happened with the morbius writers who all they have put out is crap and someone rer at still thought to hire them and they're probably still going to get hired again because they have experience writing these films oh my god it's driving me insane but the one bright spot of this announcement is the director west ball who is the director of the maze runner trilogy and the upcoming kingdom of the planet of the apes movie so i've only seen i can't say i've sat down and watched a full maze maze, maze runner movie but i am familiar with the entire storyline but for what i've seen they're exactly what they need to be and finish out their trilogy in an actual trilogy versus other ya novel trilogies which had four movies instead of three hunger games twilight some degree Harry Potter. So they didn't overstay their welcome, but I also haven't seen sat through and fully finished them at one point. So I can't really be a judge of character on that. But more importantly, he has that Kingdom of the Planet of the Ace movie coming out, which I think looks really promising, just judging by the trailer, along with the inside buzz from a few people that the film is actually pretty good. So apparently he delivers on the Ace movie. So that gives me faith that he can overcome the obstacles of his partners and deliver a great film here. Unless I'm forgetting a really really obvious really obvious film i wouldn't say that they are has been like a great video game adaptation there's been great video game shows like arcane and last of us but not a movie a film that i could put in my top 10 or top 20 of the year we still haven't had that and i really hope we have a quality of film for the video game space a, a quality film for the video game space and maybe that film is zelda but it's because of the actor strike or maybe they just haven't made it to that stage yet link nor zelda have been cast yet I saw a lot of people making jokes that RER had probably thought the main guy on the poster is Zelda and not Link. And I bet you, yep, he 100% believed that at some point. The fan cast, of course, being Tom Holland's Link, with Sony being the studio and RER being the producer, it leads most of myself to believe in that Tom Holland will probably play Link. I have no idea who's going to play Zelda, and honestly, I don't care. I have no idea who's going to play Zelda. All these fan castings for everything at this point just set people up for disappointment. And if they go with unknowns, fine by me, as long as they cast the person that best fits the role. And I, I don't know if that's Tom Holland at this point, depending on how the film is written, for, of course. But who knows? So he got the video game. The video game movies boom continues and really does not give me any hope to the quality of this film. And my excitement has gone lower than it was before they announced this film because they, you knew they were going to make a Zelda film at this point. So now the only thing I like here is the director, Russ Ball. At this point, we'll see how he reacts to the Apes film. Maybe that'll, maybe that'll give me even future hope. And the, the film is live action and it's not Illumination. So that's a win there too. So thank God it's not Illumination, but it's somewhere not much better, honestly. But what do you guys think of this news? And do you think this Zelda movie will actually turn out good despite my trepidations? I don't think so. Man, do we got a whole lot of trailers we got to talk through. But the first one I want to talk about is Inside Out 2, which just dropped its first teaser trailer. It was perfect. It gave me just a hint of the upcoming film without giving too much away. And it's, it came out, this teaser trailer came out in November for its upcoming June release date, which is where all the Pixar movies are going at this point. We still got a lot of time to reveal new stuff, but perfect. So Inside Out 2015 is one of the Pixar greats in my mind and a lot of people's minds too. The film is just it's so well put together, especially the message about sadness being okay and helpful to growing as a person. And the music of that film is just so good and it really connected with audiences and credits alike. I just I think it made about $800 million at the box office and whoo, that's a big chunk of change. 
it's a big chunk of change. I'm not enunciating correctly today. So after Toy Story 4, which made a billion dollars for Pixar, they lost their box office might, but they have climbed their way back from the ashes with Elemental, which got close to 500 million worldwide. And now they got a powerhouse coming in in the form of Inside Out 2. I bet this thing is going to get close to a billion when it releases next summer. But let's get to the teaser itself. And I said this is very much a teaser. They even reuse footage from the original films, which I find funny in some trailers. You saw it in the Marvels trailer. They did that a lot with the other MCU films. And they, I'm like, who is butchering this? This villain is not continuing Thanos' storyline. Tony and Cap are not in this, yet they use them in all of the trailers. It's pretty funny. But when we get to see, we get to see new footage from the main, the five main emotions, so joy, sadness, fear, anger, and disgust all being awoken in the middle of the night by the puberty alarm, which they plugged in right at the end of the first movie. I love Disgust hair being put up in a bonnet, and then Joy just looks like, she just looks like a mess. It's pretty funny when we see the construction workers coming in, just they wreck the place with renovations. After the renovations are over, you see that the console, the control console is emulating orange, which means a new emotion has arrived. The new one that arrived being Anxiety, who is played by Maya Hawk outstanding casting and she really fits i love the character design and i'm just excited to see what role all these new emotions play and there will be three other new emotions those being envy embarrassment and ny i'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it all of which we see glimpses of in the teaser poster they all look pretty good too and i'm curious who their voice actors are going to be because if we're getting anxiety voiced by maya hawk who else are we going to voice them but speaking of voice actors mindy kaling and bill Hader will not be reprising their roles of pure and disgust rather they were recasted with tony hale and lisa Lapira, I hope that's how you pronounce her last name, because there were some pay disputes and they did this. Disney and Pixar did not want to pay Bill Hader nor Mindy Kaling. So like, nope, we're not coming back. So good for them for taking the high road. I'm curious to see what other emotions they were thinking of before narrowing it down to those four added ones. I'm curious the development process. I feel like it'd be pretty good. I'm so surprised they didn't put logic or like love or something like that. I'm just really excited to see more from this film and I really hope it can be good as the first inside out, but a very promising start for the ad campaign. Then we also got a trailer, the first trailer that got put out for Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. But before I delve into this trailer, I thought I should give my thoughts overall on this franchise because I don't think I've ever really aired my thoughts on Ghostbusters on here. First of all, how did Ghostbusters become a franchise? It's a silly, it's a silly little ghost movie from the 80s and it has become a franchise that has five installments. I still know what happened there. Also, this is coming from someone who has never sat down and watched the entire first or second Ghostbusters. I would always start them or, and fall asleep or jump in with them around Halloween time, but in, in fact, I have seen the one from 2016 that absolutely everyone dogpiled on, and I have to say, this one was bad, and people were just acting insane, because it was fine, and just like how Ghostbusters Afterlife that they put out two years ago is really just fine. Um, I can't say I love any of the Ghostbusters movies, they really just do not do anything for me at this point. I'm curious how many Ghostbusters fans there are left at this point, because I don't think Ghostbusters Afterlife nor the 2016 Ghostbusters made over $300 million. I don't think it really won over any new fans. The Afterlife one did, though, release in when films were still being affected by COVID, but it's still not a huge number. I really thought the last Ghostbusters movie was just boring, and the nostalgia, nostalgia bait didn't help because I felt no attachment to these characters whatsoever, so I felt nothing when they used a CGI recreation for that dead guy from the originals. Although, having no nostalgia for the originals, it did put a smile on my face to see all the original Ghostbusters together, and then, of course, Sigourney Weaver showing up. So now that I'm going to get to the actual trailer for Ghostbusters Frozen Empire, which I really hate that name. It's not good. It doesn't fit with the ghost theming that Afterlife had at all. Like, Afterlife, no matter what I can say about that movie, I have to acknowledge that that was a damn good title right there. But where's Sigourney Weaver at? You see her in the end credits scene in the last movie? Why is she a main character? Come on. That's all I want. I want her with this crew 
with the, the OG crew coming back, and I think my that's my biggest hatred for this franchise as well as continuing franchises, that we just can't get the original crew be the main characters while they're still alive. Guys, most of them are still alive. Can we do this before they're all dead, please? I'm pretty sure that's what everyone wants, right? I don't want to see kid Ghostbusters. That's not what I'm here for. I, I want to see the original Ghostbusters with Sigourney Weaver, and you can throw in Paul Rudd in there if they want to. The biggest reaction the trailer got out of me was when uh, was when um, they showed up. Crap, I forgot his name. Um, Dan Aykroyd. Excuse me. Dan Aykroyd showed up. Dan Aykroyd showed up following by cuts to the rest of the OG crew all together, all dressed up. That's the reason I'm one bit excited for this movie. Even though I don't, I can't say I have nostalgia for them, it's still fun seeing these people back into it when you see them everywhere in pop culture. Also, that we are finally back in New York again, which is where this franchise belonged. Not in a suburb in the middle of nowhere with the only grocery store being Walmart's. You remember that weird promotion they did in the last movie it was so so odd as for the premise of this movie with all of new york freezing as everyone keeps pointing out this film was just ghostbusters day after tomorrow style which is pretty funny although everyone on the beach they should totally be dead and i also like the frozen steaks like they missed everybody and there was no blood whatsoever on that beach they should have immediately lost consciousness and be dead <laughs> i did really like that one shot of the girl freezing though as her tear freezes and she looks like a kid so i'd be surprised if she's actually dead knowing this franchise at the end of the trailer, though, we get a glimpse at what's to be the main villain who looks like an Ice King ghost. Now that I think that could be cool if they handle it well. Mm, that could be chill if they handle it well. Bada -ba -boom. So yeah, I'm not excited for this film, and I've never been excited for these films. I did love the use of Cruel Summer song at the beginning, and I will always jam to that 80s song. So yeah, trailer did not mean me over. I think it looks fine. Then we have the Mean Girls remake trailer. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this trailer because it just looks exactly like the original. All the scenes they included in this trailer were basically shot-for-shot -shot remakes from the original, and it annoys me because people think this is going to be a shot-for-shot -shot remake based on this trailer, rather than it's an adaptation of the Mean Girls musical on Broadway. So it was a Mean Girls movie, then it was a Mean Girls on Broadway. Now they're doing adapting the Mean Girls Broadway into a musical. Like, it makes sense, but they didn't explain it at all here. I think it's going to be a pretty fun adaptation with the singing and all the creators involved. I love that Tina Fey kept herself in it because she really hasn't aged a day, and I just wish she would have kept Amy Poehler here as Regina George's mom, because that would have been funny to see her again. But why do studios keep downplaying their that their films are actual musicals wonka and the color purple color purple to a less extent but they're both doing that particularly wonka though you produce this film as a musical why not market it as a musical if you're not going to market it as what it really is then why did you make it in the first place hopefully they will find their stride with the next trailer they put out and actually include some of the music from the movie this time around i mean i love me some olivia rodrigo and i love the get them back song but we shouldn't use pop songs over a musical trailer like Use the music you have from the actual movie. It makes me so angry, and it's going to put off so many people in the process. I think it's just going to be another endless remake. Um, what are you doing over there, Paramount? Who approved this trailer? So I think the film looks good. It's just very weird and a bad trailer to put out for a film like this. And then lastly, I got to talk about Avatar The Last Airbender, the remake that Netflix is producing. They dropped the first trailer for it. And a release date, which is supposed to come out February 22nd, 2024. So not too terribly long to go. I don't have too much to say because this really is a teaser, but it looks actually faithful to the show. At this time, unlike the previous adaptation, they have there. Hopefully, they pronounce the names of these characters right. But Netflix spent they the they spent the money here. There's grand shots. The powers already look really cool. I, I the thing that struck me most was at the beginning of the trailer, and you see the fire people's attack on the air monks. I don't remember their names. It's been a minute since I watched it, but you see that actually see that attack unfold. I'm like, okay, we're getting in here. I talked through the cast a couple months ago when they first revealed pictures, but I'm really liking what I'm seeing so far. Seeing so far, particularly um, Paul Sung. Kim, I can't remember his name. The guy who's in Mandalorian and Kim's Convenience. Paul Sung Lee, right? I hope that's his name. Who plays Uncle Iroh. Oh, I love it. It's such perfect casting. I love the original series, so I hope it's not a shot-for-shot -shot remake and that they can go in some depth. Also, since this is a Netflix, can we maybe be, make it a bit more adult? 
if this teaser is in the indication, I think we might, but that's what I would want out of retelling. Maybe go a bit darker. I really hope that's what they do. I really hope Netflix doesn't cut out, cut its legs out from under it and actually gives it three full seasons to tell this amazing, amazing story. Let's not stop it short. And I want to get to season two because season two is by far my favorite, especially all the stuff with Boss Sing Say. Oh, oh, I want to see that live action. I need to see it so bad. As for the finale of Loki season two, basically the finale of Loki completely. Marvel, you will be hearing from my lawyers. You can't end the show like this. I was a bit of an emotional wreck watching the event, the events of this series finale play out before my eyes. So I haven't, I've typed, I haven't typed so much. I've typed so much for this entire week's episode that I'm not going to do my typical play-by-play of this episode, but more talk quickly about the big elements that stood out to me, and none more so than the ending for the Loki character, who ends up basically becoming the new timekeeper and sits at the end of time as all the infant timelines play out are allowed to play out in front of his eyes, but he can't interact. Sylvie and Mobius are allowed to choose their own destiny, while B-15, OB, and Casey stay at the TVA, which will now be used as a safeguard against future he-who-remains variants. But Loki, who spent the last episode confessing that all he really wants was his friends, now sacrifices his life inside the timeline so that his friends, basically family at this point, can live out their lives freely? It's so freaking poetic, and it's so sad. I was just... I was heartbroken watching that unfold in front of my eyes. My heart was, my heart was just, oh, it was, <laughs> I first thought that he, Loki was going to have to kill Sylvie to stop all this from happening. When Loki at the beginning has to work through the same equation over and over again. And they literally use like the centuries later tagline when he's trying to use, when uh, Obi's trying to teach him. And it, it had intensified in my heart when we saw Jonathan Majors as Kang run out there as Victor Timely. And I just kept getting to see him die over and over again. I was like, hmm. I hate that character. I'm so glad he's dead. <laughs> we just kept watching over him, but he finally does it, and it still doesn't work. It still failed. They had still had it. They still had it all wrong. And there was, it's. They find out that the the loom is just a fail safe. So if it explodes, it just resets everything. But there's no way to fix it unless you just actually destroy it. Then he has to go back to when Sylvie killed He Remains because he thinks that's his only option. I love how He Remains set this whole thing up because he knew if Sylvie. He knew if Sylvie killed him, it would ultimately be undone by Loki, but Loki cannot bring himself to kill Sylvie, so instead he finds a new solution, which the Loki of the previous, at the beginning of the show, probably would have just killed Sylvie, been like, okay, done with it, let's get rid of this whole thing, but this Loki, no. Uh, but first he has to take a step even further back in the timeline, and that is ask Mobius for his advice when he first met him. Mobius tells Loki the story of a hunter hesitating to kill a kid that would cause the death of 5,000, and that hesitation caused so many more deaths. And then it's revealed to be his story along with Renslayer. But Mobius gives him the advice of making tough choices. I'm still unsure what Mobius was trying to get across other than saying, like, look at the big picture here, Loki. But that's not really why I love this scene. I love this scene because it was basically Loki and Mobius saying goodbye for the last time. And I don't know if we're ever going to see the two of them interact again. How freaking dare you, Marvel? How dare you do this to me? And the same goes for Loki's last interaction with Sylvie. When he when he goes back, he, he goes back forward. So at the end of last week's episode, when they're all disappearing and Sylvie is about to disappear and he stops time and just has a conversation with her, asking her for her advice too. And he realized, Loki realizes he can't just go back and kill her. He has to rewrite the equation, but that's by the last time they're going to talk to each other. So Loki basically sacrifices himself at this point. He turns into his true self he can be. He, he goes back to the end of the fourth episode and he goes down the ramp and he locks himself in there and... He says, I'm pretty sure he uses the same line he uses from the end of Thor. I think someone pointed that online where he says, like, I'm doing this for you. Something like that. It's like to be a true king. Something. He says something that he said at the end of Thor 1. And it's like, wow, damn. Can't believe Marvel really reused that. But you see, 
Sylvie and Mobius looking out in just like terror that he's gonna leave them behind. And I was so it was so sad. He turns into the truest self Loki can be. The caution was excellent, by the way. And he explodes the timeline and pulls all the timeline strands with him. Oh, I just knocked the mic. <laughs> he pulls all the timeline strands with him to allow for true free will, free will again. And as I said, him watching over it and seeing his friends, but never being able to interact with them. It's just, it's just so sad, but it's really a perfect ending for this series that really ended true to its message the entire time. You're not going to make season three. The creators said it themselves, and we will probably see Loki show up in the next Avengers film, maybe, if they still make those, but I don't know about the rest of this crew. I think they might be done, and I think they might get to spend the rest of their lives in peace, but if we never see them again, I will be so freaking sad, but also, it's nice to have a definitive ending. So yeah, Loki season two was an absolute triumph, and this, along with season one of Loki, was just, it was just so great. Truly one of Marvel's best projects out there. And it's so hard saying goodbye to some truly great characters. Not you, Victor Tinley or Casey, but everyone else from Loki to B-15 to Sylvie to Mobius and Miss Minutes. How they got back online, I'm going to miss you. I really am. And then also with that Variety article saying that this is going to cause it's Marvel is truly screwed with their whole Kang angle. They could really take the end of the show and say TVA is stopping any more Kangs from being undone. And Loki's there guarding the timeline. They really could do that as their gateway. And also I have to mention, Rinslayer. Did she just die? We get one scene of her and she dies. And they put it in the freaking trailer they put out too. I'm like, oh, Rinsler's going to do something here. And, when what? and at the end of the show, you just see her pop up. Oh, and last thing before I stop talking about Loki for probably ever. If they, they, I don't know if we're ever going to catch up with these guys again. I do have to mention Natalie Holt's music. Outstanding. That's probably the best it's ever been in the last, last 10 minutes of the show. Her music was just, it was pumping my heart along with all the emotional scenes. And I really hope if they do Avengers King Dynasty and Avengers Hero, I hope she gets the job to score because she really deserve, deserves it. So yeah. Loki season two. What a ride. What a ride, man. But coming next week, we got to mention there's so much stuff coming out next week, the weekend before Thanksgiving break. First thing I got to talk about is Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. So this one has growing, been growing in my anticipation for the past couple weeks. First of all, the cast is now able to promote the film due in an interim inter agreement they form with SAG, which really means we get a ton more publicity for this, ton more publicity for this film. It's really amping me up for the scene, this thing. I know everybody else can promote it now, but they got to promote it like two weeks early. But most importantly, the social media embargo lifted for this film, and the reactions were pretty much outstanding with the only trepidations between the long runtime and the third act, which I will talk about in a moment. But then the full critic reviews came out, and I think it's at 70% now on Rotten Tomatoes, which isn't as fantastic as I was hoping it would be. But the people who I follow and who I relate a lot of my opinions to, they liked it, so I think I'm going to love it. Critics are praising all the performances, but particularly Rachel Zegler, Viola Davis, Peter Dinklage, and Tom Blythe. I think that's how you say it. The main leads of the film, per se, but everyone says they're just outstanding, and they say the action scenes are filmed very intensely. They released a, crip, a, a, crip, a clip of the beginning of the Hunger Games of the film, and it was shot super well, and I really felt the action. Also, thank you for not playing the eardrum ringing noise like the first Hunger Games during the bloodbath scene, but it already looks so good from, from that, plus the reviews. But regarding the long runtime, I hope they don't drag out a ton of stuff here, because it's supposed to be about 2 hours and 45 minutes, which is really long. But the book is long too, so it tracks. My one criticism of the book was the third act, which felt like an entirely different story shoved shoved in there. And from the reaction, it looks like that might be the same year, which is the part on it's the part that doesn't get enough time to breathe because a lot is going on in that third act, third act of this film. And I'm curious to see if they're gonna pull it off in my mind. I hope they do. Then we got Trolls 3 Band Together. I've seen the first Trolls films a few times because my sister was playing it in the background a few a few years ago. And I've seen its sequel once at this point. I'm not a big fan of this franchise, and I find it to be one of DreamWorks' laziest franchises. It never goes beyond the premise of cute trolls singing covers of pop songs. And the trailer just promotes the same vibe, and I'm really I'm not digging it. But hey, maybe my mind can change. 
Then we got next goal wins. Now, this was the secret AMC secret screening that they did that I could not make it to. I'm so glad I didn't finish fit my schedule because I would have been there. I would have I would have been there. I would have driven over an hour to go see the secret screening, and I wouldn't have been so mad if it was this. But as for the film itself, it kind of has mixed reviews, but I think people were wanting more out of it than it would bring. If it can bring the same laughs that I had from the trailer, then I would be satisfied. Every time I see the commercial come on, it's mostly play a lot of fun of football games. My family loves it, and we all laugh at the scene where the football bounces off everybody's heads. So I think Mike Fox might have a sleeper hit on their hands, even if critics are panning the film somewhat. If it can give me the laughs, I will be satisfied. And the last thing that's coming next week is Monarch Legacy of Monsters. New show alert that will actually get me to sign back up to Apple TV because I don't watch any of their shows there. And I know they're really good, but I just, there I'm there's just so many. I'm no... The only one I actually watch is Defending Jacob. There are just so many shows out. It's so hard to keep up, and their catalog is overwhelming to me at this point. But I love everything Godzilla, and I really love the MonsterVerse that was created through Warner Brothers. It's still weird that it's not on their Mac streaming service. Rather, it's on Apple TV+. Apparently, the show is really good, though. We see Kurt and Wyatt Russell playing the same character in different time periods. I love that idea. It's so good. And the Godzilla and all the monster effects are really cool and surprisingly amazing for a TV show. A 10-episode ten, ten TV show... At that, which is getting rave reviews, what more can I ask for? No one is talking about the show, so I will put the word of out there that it is coming out, and I am excited for the show, and I will resubscribe to Apple or try to buy a new Apple product so I can get three months free again. But thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. What did you think of the Marvels, the Legend of Zelda news, Loki episode six, all the trailers inside out too was awesome. And make sure to come back next week where I'll be re- re- I will be reviewing Hunger Games, Battle of Songbirds and Snakes. Hopefully Trolls 3 and maybe next goal wins. So we'll see what we'll see what all goes to plan if I can fit watching all these movies in. Oh, and I think Thanksgiving is coming. The horror movie Thanksgiving is coming out next week too. Too many movies. We have like a dry spot, dry spot there last week. Someone should have moved there. But make sure you guys follow me on my social media, on my Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And thank you guys so much for listening. Have a good night now. Bye-bye.